For members of the 2S LGBTQ plus community, it's a big moment when you can live as your authentic self. However, around the world, some never have that chance. 70 countries have jurisdictions that criminalize private consensual same-sex sexual activity. In eight countries, 2S LGBTQ plus individuals face the death penalty. Reaching out Winnipeg, it's changing the lives of a small group of individuals, helping them start a new life here in Manitoba. My name is Robert, and I'm a volunteer uh, board director with Reaching Out Winnipeg. I'll probably use the acronym RO uh, later on, so that's what I'm referring to for Reaching Out Winnipeg. Uh, I'm volunteer director, have been for about three, four years now, and uh, recently became the uh, lead for community engagement and fundraising. Uh, fundraising is obviously an important thing for an organization like ours. Uh, where we are um, financially supporting our landed refugees uh, once they arrive in Winnipeg. The most important question for our listeners, what is Reaching Out Winnipeg or Roe? So Roe's a, a small grassroots volunteer-based organization. Uh, we're very nimble. Uh, and so we're a small group of passionate people um, who uh, both sponsor and settle LGBTQ refugees uh, from other parts of the world, uh, to come to Winnipeg. Uh, what we like to say is that we make a big difference for a small number of people because um, we all we are a small group and we can talk more about this later, but at the end of the day, it's about $20,000 once an, uh, a refugee arrives in Winnipeg that we're responsible for. So that money is for settlement purposes, not to actually sponsor them. So uh, we work with um, the way that we will sponsor, and I'll, I'll describe the difference between a sponsorship and settlement, uh, but sponsors actually to go through the arduous process of actually um, getting, a, a, identifying a refugee, going through the, the various hoops that we need to go through with the federal government for perfectly, perfectly fine uh, purposes. Um, and so that there's no cost involved with that. So we're not charging refugees a bunch of money to come here. Because I think you probably have heard those in the past, just as uh, as in other situations. It really is once they receive they they arrive here. So we're essentially responsible for them for a full year is what we do financially, emotionally, mentally. Um, and so that's really where the dollars that we are trying to raise. So the more dollars that we're able to raise means the more that we're able to um, settle once they arrive here in Winnipeg uh, for that full year. And it's all, it, you know, a year sounds like a lot of time to, to, to be responsible for someone, but these individuals really are, they're coming from uh, Middle Eastern countries, uh, in most cases, Africa, for example, English is sometimes there, sometimes not uh, skill sets, you know, that they're, what we say is that we're always life changing and quite often life saving. So these individuals have gone through a lot in their in their years living who they are, hiding for the most part in the countries where, they, where they're from. And so uh, it's a year to get them settled, to find them a, a place to live, a safe place to live. Um, maybe some secondary education as it relates to English as a second language. Uh, and getting them a job because they need to be little birds that can fly away after a full year uh, with us. And that's a lot to do in one year time. All of us have learned that during this whole pandemic, it's been like two, two and a half heading on to like three-ish years. The time has flown by. Like a year means nothing yeah. anymore. Yeah. So I, I think when I was doing my research about different organizations here in Winnipeg, I saw yours and I'm like, yeah, like you mentioned, only a small group of people, but those you do help, it means the world 
for them. So what can you tell me about the history of Roe? You know, when was it established and, you know, why? Um, so 2012 is when it was established. And so um, in terms of why, that's I actually can't answer that question for you. Um, so, uh, but it was 2012. And I think it was a, like, a, a like-minded group of people uh, who came together. And it was probably for a specific individual. Um, quite often, so there's two types of sponsorships. One is uh, uh, sponsorship through the federal government, and then there's private sponsorship. So we typically lean towards the former, the government sponsorship, uh, because the time is really cut in half. Uh, a lot of things are pre-done by the federal government um, ahead of time before we're even brought into the process of it. Um, and then there are actually some savings as well as it relates to our organization because the federal government will actually um, give us some some funding as well to help spot, to help settle that that uh, that individual. Um, and so we we tend to go for the the government sponsorship so we're able to help more people. But in that time of of basically a decade now, uh, Roe and I can only speak for the last three or four years that I've been involved. But basically, there's only been about a dozen. Uh, refugees that we've been able to sponsor. And we actually have two on the go right now that could be arriving anytime. And we don't really know. We usually get the email and within two weeks they could arrive. So we've been working on, on these two individuals, they're actually a couple, uh, for like two years now, uh, over two years. And obviously COVID has not been our friend because we know that that shut down a lot of borders as related to, to refugees, LGBTQ or not. And uh, so we could get a phone call anytime and within two weeks they could be here, which means it's go time for our settlement team who basically are responsible for finding accommodations, starting the whole process of all the other services that we tap into that are already established here, like Immigrant Center and Need Center, and, and then start that whole uh, journey for them for the next year. A year you're helping out these individuals coming in. What does that process look like? You just mentioned, you know, finding um, housing, a place for them to stay. What, what does that year all encompass a little bit more in detail? Everything from like a bus pass or how to ride a bus to a library card to um, uh, trying to find a circle of friends or building a circle of friends for them. Um, finding, um, we have actually a volunteer who is a, is a therapist. So quite often there's some mental health um, uh, needs, let's just say, uh, to yes, finding that job, uh, everything really it's, it's going, how to go grocery shopping, right? Like these, the, these individuals are not familiar with North American grocery stores and even what their, what their diet is or what they're used to. Um, you know, the, it's really everything. It's kind of like a, a brand new person. That's, it's like, if we were thrown right into, to the, into the, the middle East or Africa or somewhere else and say, here you go, welcome to your new life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it would be a little bit different for us. And so, and that would be like where we're so fortunate and blessed in North America is that we don't, we have not been running for our lives or hiding, you know, who we are to our family or friends because we're, we're, you know, we're worried about them being that we're worried about ourselves being, being murdered or killed. And so they're coming from such a horrible negative place, not only just from a, from a, um, a new environment, but then also just from the fact of, of what they've been dealing with their entire life with where they were born. It can be incredibly scary. Out here in Canada, we're so incredibly privileged. The queer community, of course, not to say, there are instances where people have really bad upbringings, but the, the difference is astronomical. There's still eight countries in the world where, so we use the term SOGI, uh, which is sexual orientation, gender identity, minority. So it's it's 
kind of more of an inclusive, it's kind of like queer to a certain degree, it's more of an inclusive term of, of, of everyone within that within that, that range or that scope. Um, but there's still eight countries in the world where um, LGBT or SOGI people face a death penalty. So like these individuals that, and unfortunately, um, to, you know, we're able to help very few, uh, again, because of, of the fact that we are a small volunteer group organization, and, and there is a, a price tag that, that uh, comes with, uh, with being able to be responsible for them for a year, but I had the I had the lovely pleasure too of responding to the people that email um, people from around the world that email us looking for for help, and so I get to read you know quite often they'll 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 tell their story right, and so these individuals are uh, sometimes they can work, but if they're found out to be soji, they're often they're quite often fired. If their families find out that they are, um, there could be honor killings in some situations or they're simply abandoned or pushed out of the house is the kind of the best scenario in a lot of the countries. Um, and quite often they have to leave to other countries like Turkey and things. Um, so they don't fear for their life as much, but so that's where they're actually a refugee from their country going to somewhere else um, before they arrive in, in Canada or in, in Winnipeg. Um, so there's, they're dealing with a lot of stuff and yeah. So in, in North America, it's something actually with, with, I think an opportunity for, for a lot of North American pride festivities in the month of the, the month of June for many, for, for pride as well, is I think there's an opportunity for those organizations to start thinking a little bit more globally. Um, I have nothing against having inclusive washrooms in North America. I think that's an important thing for a lot of people, but there's a lot of our brothers and sisters out there in, in far, far worse situations. And so for instance, in eight countries still in the world, there there's they can, Soji people, and Soji is a term that we use, which is sexual orientation, gender, gender identity minority. So kind of like a term, um, queer, it's all inclusive. Um, so in eight countries, uh, you, you, Soji people can face the death penalty still. Um, in 72 countries, uh, they can be legally punished by imprisonment, uh, sometimes for life, public torture. And, um, you know, the people that, that the individuals that, that, um, that are looking to, to um, for us to sponsor and come to Canada or come to really a Western culture, um, they are, when they, when they come out, well, they're hiding number one. So when they come out, if they decide to do that, um, you know, family is not a safe space in general. There's obviously exceptions to every to every rule, um, but you know, there can be the best case scenario for for a soji individual in many of the countries that that we hear from or we sponsor is that they'll be kicked out of the house. Uh, in other cases, they're threatened with their life um, by the, by their own family, and so. Um, they quite often will leave their home country and go somewhere quote unquote safer like Turkey. However, it's no better. So if they're working, if they actually get a job somewhere and they're found out to be Soji, quite often they'll be fired or they have to live, um, you know, very much not part of society. And um, so they'll do odd jobs just to, just to, just to make do. Um, so these are the individuals that are really, really tough places. And so when they come to us again, as I was saying earlier, um, there's a lot of work that we need to do with them uh, as early as just being a new culture. And so, you know, some of these individuals, you know, the, when they get here and even like during Pride Month, it's something that's so foreign to them, right? Because they're, they're not coming from a place of pride by any means. They email you. What What is the process between getting those emails, finding these individuals and then working with the government to get them here? Yeah. So unfortunately, the individual, I have a, I have a, 
I have a, a, a candid, a, a canned response for the individuals that just randomly email us. We can't help them. And it's, it's uh, sometimes because they, they usually put quite a bit of effort into telling their story. And so it's, it's, uh, it can be very difficult and emotional, um, but we can't help them essentially. So I, 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 we obviously give them resources, but if they found little old reaching out Winnipeg, right? From, I'm like, wow, they've done their research because they've gone, there's, there's larger organizations across the Canada and also in the States as well. Uh, so part of our peer organizations. Um, so they've, they've done their due diligence to even, to even find us. And, but unfortunately we can't. So um, when we go through a government sponsorship, uh, the government basically gives us a, a, uh, a bio. And when I say bio of individuals, when I say bio, there's basically two lines. You know very, 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 very little about these. Oh, yeah. You, you can't really learn anything about a person in like two you sentences. You can't learn anything, no. And so we basically, once we, so we get a, a, a handful of um, a potential SOGI uh, refugees and um, that are given to us and we get to pick from those. And we have a certain criteria that we use at Roe um, because we are a small group. Like if, if there's no English at all it, that they're able to speak, that's really difficult for us, right? We, we, we have to bring someone onto the, as a member of Roe, which we're not against doing by any means, who can speak that, that dialogue. Um, so we typically have Englishes in there somewhere. We do look for a little bit for skill set. So we might hear like they drive a truck. We don't know if that means they can drive or they can drive a semi-truck in North America, right? So it's kind of like a bit of a code that we that we have to go through. So so answer your question though, we can't help individuals that just reach out to us because if we have to go through the we have to go through the process, which is a good process that the federal government dictates. If we do a private sponsorship, it's a little bit more open. Um, sometimes there's like a personal connection. So we may have brought someone over originally or another peer group has, and they are wanting to bring a friend of theirs as an example. And so there's situations there where there might be a family member connection who now is here and they want to bring over their, their brother or their sister to, to Winnipeg. Um, but for an individual just to randomly reach out to an organization like Roe, um, there is such a process to immigrate as a refugee to Canada that there's we just can't really we can't do anything for those individuals mm -hmm. so they have to go through the federal government first and then you can help them from there okay which is very disheartening obviously and that's where we say we make a big difference with a small number of people and it does it feels like it's a drop it is it, to drop it's literally a drop in the ocean but i think for the motivation for the for the row uh, members is the fact that it is still changing the life or saving life of one individual so we don't want to we don't want to get um we take pride in that and we don't want to get frustrated the fact that we can do so little um, as it relates to a, a large group of the population around the world. I just think it's interesting when you mentioned just two lines in a write-up, a bio of this individual. Because when you go to adopt a pet, like there will be like a full-on like yeah. essay about them. Yes. What sort of uh, reactions and things do you get from people you've been helping out over the year? Do they end up helping out the organization? In other means, do you stay in connection? Yeah, we do for sure. So at the one, at the 365 day mark, we don't just say, see ya, good luck. Uh, so we, we sometimes do financially still support uh, 
some of our individuals uh, after that year mark. Um, and then our settlement team, and it sounds so official, but it's a couple of guys, essentially, a couple of volunteers uh, that have the ability to go on a bus trip, you know, during the middle of the day as opposed to, you know, as opposed to work, that kind of stuff, and guide them and support them, have them over for, like, family birthdays and stuff like that, really, like, adopt them in some cases as, as part of their, 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 their family or their friend circle. Um, and so... Yeah, they're, they're, they're part of the Little Road community, and then we, we try to encourage them to be part of the greater Soji Winnipeg community as well. Um, you know, quite often they're, they're, they're on, a little bit younger on the younger side, and so um, some of them will go back to school, even after they've got like their English as a second language or additional language, I think the term is now, um, and then just trying to, to work and, and, and survive and, and go through the motions that they, that they need to go through to, to uh, have a brand new life. And then also some uptimes to keep in touch with um, friends or family uh, back home uh, as well. So um, yeah, bring them into our homes essentially and, and having them part of our, our chosen family uh, is a big thing. Uh, in terms of um, sometimes we use them as like, you know, the, the pinup person here, like help this person, you know, kind of idea. Yeah, of course. But, but these individuals keeping in mind, right, that they they have not been able to be their true self their entire life. They feared for their life in many cases. And so, you know, we try to get testimonials and quotes from them, that kind of stuff to use like for our, for our communication to really uh, put a person behind what we're trying to do as opposed to just me, this white guy, you know, this privileged white guy um, who volunteers. But it, it's, it's tough. They, um, you know, they, they, they may come to an event uh, and, and, and participate in that way, but quite often that they're quite reserved uh, to even like show their face, quite honestly. Well, yeah. understandably. Well, it is good to hear that you're helping build a community with them because that's something I've learned over the pandemic, the importance of community. And now that closures and everything are basically out the window and there are events and you see people come, there is some trepidation. And I think part of our major political turmoils right now is because a lot of people don't feel like they know their neighbors or have a community right now, which is so detrimental to us as a like human race. And people get accustomed to it. You know, they, they get used to thinking that's just what, and that's the way that it can be or that they can survive. And I know that the human, human beings are meant to be in relation. And so, uh, but you know, a couple of years of, of more isolation, people think that, oh, I'm, I'm fine doing this. And I don't think that's the case. And I think it's gonna be detrimental moving forward for people. So no different for, for the ind individuals that, that we bring here as well. We have actually had a couple of, a couple of couples that we've, uh, one, like I said, is on the way. And so that's a really neat experience. So I think when I was talking to uh, the, what, the last couple, the fact that they're able to live together as a couple um, and, and talk of, and not hide the fact that they are in a, in a romantic relationship and that they're allowed to live that way is something that they never thought could be. For most queer people, that moment you're able to come out of the closet and be your authentic self is such an awe-inspiring moment for the individual. Absolutely. Yes. And do it, you know, relatively safely. Yeah. Something that we learned too, that I thought, you know, because Winnipeg is such a diverse community with cultures from everywhere in the world right that the, the idea well that they'll have community they'll find community so they'll find we'll, we'll build a soji community for them but we'll also there's a there's a um there's a community a, a, a background community here in terms of uh, who they are if it's if it's muslim or whatever have you but what we learned um many years ago is the fact that 
it sounds bad, but these are you know, these the in the this existing existing group of, of people that from their home country or their region aren't necessarily affirming. And so um, we had one situation where uh, one of our our sponsored individuals was in a community, and across the street was um, was a family within their own from their own their own culture. And he was very intimidated and wouldn't introduce, or wouldn't introduce himself or wouldn't engage with that family. And we're like, what is the problem? But right, that's the world that he comes from. His 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 own people are against who he is. And so even though in 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 Winnipeg or in Canada, North America, there's there's still that unease. And obviously, I don't want to paint a, a, a wide brush for all for all individuals. And I think probably people that do come that do immigrate to Canada are probably now part of you know Western culture. But as we know that there's still lots of homophobia um, around you know anywhere, right? Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, everywhere. So um, it's just an interesting thing, right? Because you would think that oh, this individual's got a little bit of like some some of his own people are here. But that's not always the case. So you you sometimes are very much building a community and a chosen family for them. There's an organization in Vancouver. It's called Pinoy Pride, and they work with uh, Filipinos and other Southeast Asian communities. So they have the the queer individuals, and then they have the older generations and their families. And what they do is they try to bridge the gap between them and have those conversations. Because the Philippines, very Catholic, very conservative, so yeah. it can be very hard. So being able to have those opportunities where people can just sit down and talk can mean a lot. Because, yeah, if you're separated from your your heritage or your culture, it can be really hard. You just come here, then all of a sudden, it's, it's the culture shock. You, like, you don't have anything else familiar, and if you do have the supports within... Uh, individuals of your own background, it can mean all the difference. Yeah. Even to the language barrier that I was referring to earlier, right? Like sometimes they know multiple languages, right? Like, um, and so, but, but English is not a strong one. And so we actually just had a welcome barbecue for someone that, um, a, a spinoff organization of Rose uh, had just brought someone over. And so we had a, a backyard barbecue uh, for that individual and you know using he was using a, his a translator on his phone so he could speak and understand and, and understand English enough to have a bit of a conversation but but you know there's so much slang right it's slang and, and and involved and so he was using a, a translator which is fine because um you know he's he's a, he arrived in May I believe it was and um and so making sure that there's other like other people that we've sponsored at these events and just part and what we so it's either at a barbecue or just like on a random Tuesday, you know, evening when when you're when you're um, talking about a job or or a medical card or something like that to have other people that have gone through that process or other people that can speak the language of them. It really helps because, you know, if, if any of us that listen to this have, have traveled to a, a country where they don't speak the, the native language, we know what that's like. So if that's your world now, it can be it can obviously be very stressful. Yeah, I I guess it's been like a month or so now, went to Montreal, and luckily, a lot of people in Montreal still speak English, but there are times where it's like, uh, where am I? What's going on here? Thank you so much for having this conversation with me, Robert. Um, I felt it was so important, although Pride has come and gone, and we've seen a lot of corporations just all of a sudden, whoop, pull that rainbow and flag out of their window, um, but I feel it's important to have these conversations 
year round. Like the 2S LGBTQ community, it's not something that just disappears after the month. And there are individuals across the world, like you mentioned, eight countries where it's a death sentence and many more where you're basically ostracized from any community. So having conversations about pride, about these communities, working towards understanding and respect is what we need to do. Because the second you stop fighting for those things, look what we're seeing down in the United States, the conversations coming out that they want to uh, remove the protections of same-sex marriage. Like, it can all too quickly disappear. It can start very small and then it can definitely snowball. And uh, so the, the countries that, that we're bringing people from too, that, you know, that there is none of that protection. So it really is, you know, going back to, I don't know if there, I don't know if in North America, there were ever death um, sentences uh, for, for SOGI people. I don't believe so, but you know, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of organizations are doing a lot of good work there. Um, but uh, I, you know, I don't know, it's, it's baked in for hundreds of years and many generations. And so um changing a culture is, is not something that's obviously easy. It's not within our abilities, um, but, you know, trying to, to uh, save as many people as we can and make a little bit of difference for them, I think is, is kind of what motivates the, the volunteers at Roe. Well, I mean, if we can make a, a small difference here, it can grow and then maybe that positivity can influence the world. That's, that's what I hope. That's what I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm clinging to. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like the butterfly wing, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like uh, one flap of butterfly wing, a hurricane across the globe, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So where can people go to find out more about Roe and what are some ways they can help support your organization? Yeah. So for individuals, so as I mentioned at the beginning, so I'm responsible for community engagements. Uh, so thank you, Ryan, as well as fundraising. And uh, so there, we have kind of a couple of streams of, of, of fundraising that we're, that, we're, uh, that we're working on. So one is individual donations, mm-hmm. and then one is corporate donations, both of which are difficult because there's lots of great organizations doing great work in Winnipeg. And uh, so we're just one of those kind of waving our little, our little Soji flag saying, you know, save the life of someone. Um, um, so if, if, if an individual is, is watching or listening to this and they're so inclined, go to our website. You can make a, a one-time donation, essentially. Um, and then if you're a corporation, give me a call. Let's talk about what works for you. We do have some different uh, packages in terms of uh, fund rate or sponsorship. But just to kind of give a context to this, too, because um, uh, we what I like to do when I talk about people giving dollars, it's not just giving money. And basically all of them that are fundraising goes to our, goes to our, our uh, allows us to, to, uh, to sponsor an asylum seeker. And so we don't have overhead, let's just say that, or we have to pay for our, our website subscription, mm-hmm. you know, a year, everyone's here, but that's kind of it. So 20 bucks, what does 20 bucks do, right? You know, well, that really buys groceries for a week for, for one of our, in, for one of our asylum seekers. So 50 bucks, will get them what we need in Winnipeg, a toque, scarf, warm socks, and mitts, essentially. Uh, $100 buys them a monthly bus pass, which obviously is really important for an individual. And then $200 will buy them a safe place to live for a week. So, you know, it's one thing to go, well, man, you need 20,000 bucks, Robert. Like, what am I, I don't have $20,000 to give you. Give me 20 bucks and that's really going to, is going to, you know, if 10 people do that, then all of a sudden they've got groceries for 10 weeks. And so those are the, the little things that individuals can do. Uh, and then on the, on the corporate level, you know, kind of same idea there that they can help as well from a, 
from it. Just uh, what how we our our model is that we we financially support them for a year. So anything really helps uh, as it relates to that. And the more that we get, the more that we'll be able to um, get, get additional uh, asylum seekers to come here to Winnipeg. Do you have a story you'd like us to share or communities we should highlight? Leave a comment on our social media or reach out to us on our website. I'm Ryan Funk. This was You Talk. And have yourself a good one.